Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Indians 4, the Baltimore Orioles 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And last night, what a bizarre, absolutely crazy game. It felt like for as much as the Indians were trying to lose that game last night, the Orioles were trying to give that game to the Indians last night, and that's eventually what happens. Um, thanks Thanks to some timely errors from the Baltimore Orioles in the sixth inning. So let's get into it. That's the top storyline for me. The top storyline in this game is the errors by the Orioles. Now, the Orioles are credited with only two errors on the game, but it it really should be three because in the first inning, uh, we got a little bit of a rain delay, and uh, we start off with two guys on base. Cesar Hernandez singles. Ahmed Rosario is hit by a pitch which causes a replay review, which causes the manager for the Orioles to get tossed out of the game. Uh, So that's a fun way to start the game. And then Jose Ramirez hits a fly ball to left field. I call it what it was. It's a normal fly ball to left field. It should go down for an out. Instead, instead, the left fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, which was Stewart out there, uh, he slips in the grass. And it wasn't even... It didn't even look like a normal slip. It looked like on his like first step, it just his foot just went out from under him. DJ Stewart and I, I mean, you've seen guys maybe running towards the line and they slip because they're trying to pull up before they crash into the wall. Something like that. Something where you have to change direction uh, causes you to fall. You know, maybe the ball is coming at you. It bounces. It hits the dirt. It's changing direction, and then you fall. But no, he just kind of slips on his first step, and the ball falls in front of him for a single. Uh, I believe Cesar Hernandez comes in to score on it. Ahmed Rosario goes up to third, and Jose Ramirez goes in a second. And not only would that allow one run to score, but then Eddie Rosario would hit a long sack fly, a really deep sack fly, all the way to the wall in left field that Stewart's able to catch this time. And that brings Ahmed Rosario in to score on a sack fly. So, now, in theory, you've let two runs come across the score. And Jose Ramirez, in a normal game, would have been out. But now he's on third base, and now Bobby Bradley comes up, and he is able to sing single through the left side and score Jose Ramirez. So, in theory, that slip cost the Orioles three runs in the first inning. Now, Bobby Bradley smokes this one, 107.3 mile-per-hour uh Liner grounder through the shift on the left side. And let's talk about this at bat. Because when we talk about sometimes there's storylines in just one at bat, this is the perfect example of it. So, obviously, when you get a guy like Bobby Bradley up here who you know crushes fastballs, you're going to go off speed to try to combat him, right? To try to make him chase. You're going to go off speed and you're going to keep it away. That is exactly the plan that Dean Kramer had going against Bobby Bradley. So he starts him with a curveball. It's it's on the plate. It's it's on the plate. It's probably more up and more on the plate than Dean Kramer wanted it to be. And uh, he foul tips it. Okay, strike one. Throws him a changeup now. So he goes 74.6 on the curve. Throws him an 83.1 mile per hour changeup on the outside edge, down at the bottom of the strike zone, at the knees, 
and he swings over it for strike two. This is the encouraging sign from Bobby Bradley here. The next pitch is a changeup that's a little more up, maybe at the thighs instead of the knees, but it's further away. It's off the plate, probably, maybe gets strike three. It depends. I mean, the at this point in the game, the umpire hasn't really established what his strike zone is going to be. So maybe he gets this called strike three. Maybe it goes for ball one. But Bobby Bradley takes a different approach. If he tried to hit this as a home run to right field, he is striking out, right, and ruining a chance for an RBI. Instead, he hits it the opposite way. He stays back on it and lines it through the shift. That is a beautiful piece of hitting by Bobby Bradley. And that's something that if he can continue to do consistently, look, look at Jose Ramirez, right? Jose Ramirez, somehow, they keep throwing him balls that he can drive out to right field. Somehow, they keep throwing him inside pitches. They keep throwing him. You have to throw a fastball eventually, right? They keep giving him chances to pull the ball. And Bobby Bradley will get those same chances. He will. He will get those same chances to drive the ball out to right field. But when they're not giving it to you, and when you're down to two strikes, you just got to take what you get. And in this situation, he takes what he gets, and he lines it in the left field and brings in a very, very important run. So the Indians are up 3 nothing at this point. It's looking good. The Orioles would start to scratch their way back. They do score two in the fourth. They would eventually drive Mejia. Uh, They don't drive him out of the game in the fourth, but I think those two runs coming across effectively ended the night for Mejia. He's able to finish the inning, but it got him up to 55 pitches. It got Sandlin up in the bullpen, and at that point, Francona thought, look, I've gotten a good start for Mejia here. He's leaving with the lead. He's got a 3-2 lead. He does not eventually, he doesn't get the win because he doesn't go five innings, but it's something that he can go to the showers. He can go home, go to bed at night feeling good about. So it effectively ends the night for uh, Mejia and makes it a tight ball game, 3-2. And then the Indians are able to score another in the sixth, a huge insurance run because Brian Shaw would end up giving up an RBI hit in the seventh. Brian Shaw would end up in some real trouble in the seventh and uh, give up the third run to the Orioles. So if the Indians don't get this insurance run in the sixth, we are looking at a tie game and a much different game because the Indians' offense really started to sputter as this game went on. In fact, the Indians have one base runner. After Harold Ramirez grounds in a double play to end the first, nobody gets on in the second, nobody gets on in the third, uh, we do get a single from Eddie Rosario in the fourth, a solid single, but Bobby Bradley hits it hard, but hits into a double play. Uh, so that is erased and no base runners in the fifth. So we really go the second, third, fourth, and fifth without anything going on. Finally, in the sixth inning, Cesar Hernandez reaches on a fielding error. He basically chops one over the first baseman's glove and down the line for a single Then a pass ball by Pedro Severino. That's the second error. So maybe there's actually four technical errors, mistakes by the Orioles in this game that leads to these four runs. So a pass ball by Severino allows Hernandez to go up to second. Listening on the radio, Hamilton made it sound like uh, this should have been easily caught. And it was just a lazy effort by Severino. Then uh, 
Ahmed Rosario would ground out uh, to Freddie Galvis. Uh, Freddie Galvis made, I don't know where it happened in this game, but he made an absolute, I think, I think it was on Harold Ramirez's ground out. Yeah, in the fourth inning. 108.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 600 expecting batting average. Freddie Galvis made a diving stop to his right, and it didn't look like he was going to be able to get up and make the throw in time. And he got up and rocketed a throw to first base to get Harold Ramirez. An incredible play by Freddie Galvis. Uh, so he gets Ahmed Rosario here in the sixth inning. So it strands Cesar Hernandez at second. Uh, they go to a pitching change. They bring in Tyler Wells out of the bullpen. And then Jose Ramirez pops one up down the right field line. In my experience, if an outfielder has a chance at a ball, they have to call off the infielder going back. As much as once these guys make it to the major league level, like it's a big difference in old man softball versus the major league level, obviously. Once these guys are in their major leagues, We've seen infielders make incredible catches going backwards, facing the wrong direction, the home plate, right? Not squaring up the ball. Uh, Jose Ramirez did it himself, I think, last night down the left field line, kind of standing sideways to the fans, and he's able to catch one before it goes to the net. You know, it, it was stopped a few feet short of the net. So in this situation, the second baseman, Stevie Wilkerson, drifts all the way back. I mean, he's down by the ball boy there and then, you know, the security guard in that right field corner. And for some reason, the right fielder never calls him off. And Wilkerson tries to make a catch on it. He has it. He has it caught and it just pops out of his glove. One of those, you squeezed your glove too early situations. I don't know. It just pops out of his glove. If the right fielder calls him off, probably makes that catch. Nine times out of 10, Stevie Wilkerson probably makes that catch. But Instead, he drops the pop-up, and it gives Jose Ramirez new life. And what does Jose Ramirez end up doing? He ends up rocketing in a double over Santander's head in right field, that same right fielder that should have called him off. He ends up hitting one for an RBI double uh, that scores Cesar Hernandez. And let's look at where that pitch was. All right, Tyler Wells versus Jose Ramirez. It's a long at-bat. It's a nine-pitch at-bat. And eventually that ninth pitch is going to be, it's not on the pitch chart. Are you absolutely kidding me? I believe it's telling me it was in the exact same spot as the fourth pitch of the at-bat, which was also a changeup. I believe that's what's going on there. So if that's the case, it is a changeup that was down but on the middle of the plate, right down the middle of the plate. So uh, yeah, wow, a nine-pitch at-bat. I did not realize it was such a battle there. He fouls off one, two, three, four, five balls in that at-bat, including a couple of fastballs that were up, that were hittable, um, and eventually takes that changeup and drives it over Santander's head for the double. 103.1 mile-per-hour exit velocity. So yeah, that's a really, really good at-bat and a really lucky at-bat for Jose Ramirez. So since it's a dropped foul ball, it doesn't actually go as an error. So once again, it's a mistake that doesn't go as an error. I think in theory, the Orioles made four errors last night that led to four runs from the Indians. All right, our next storyline on the day. <sighs> I can't believe I didn't talk about this at the start of the show. I, I I got so into the game and preparing to talk about the game, I completely forgot to talk about Shane Bieber and the Shane Bieber news of it all. And uh, he is on the IL. He's on the 10-day IL, which doesn't mean he's going to be back in 10 days, folks. 
He's on the 10-day IL with shoulder fatigue, shoulder soreness um, in his throwing arm. Not not a great thing to hear. Uh, sometimes you wonder when a guy's struggling and the news like this comes out, it goes, okay, was those struggles because of the shoulder fatigue? So he's not going to throw for two weeks. He is not picking up a baseball and not throwing for two weeks. I'm sure they're going to be doing physical therapy with him. I'm sure he's going to be hitting the rubber bands and doing all the things to get some strength back in that arm and get it feeling good again, right? Sometimes you got to work on the muscles around the arm to get the arm strong again. And uh, yeah, he is going into a little bit of a reset, a little bit of a relax mode. But this is as much as they were panicking on local radio. I mean, they were in full panic. The season is over mode on local radio. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because this is this goes around. This absolutely goes around Major League Baseball. John Means for the Orioles pitches his no-hitter. He is on the IL with some type of shoulder soreness, shoulder fatigue in his throwing arm. Corey Kluber throws his no-hitter. He is out with some shoulder fatigue, shoulder soreness. I'm sure if I dug through all the ILs of all 30 major league teams, I could probably name 10 other top-of-the-line, one-two guys in the rotation starters who are on the IL right now with some type of shoulder fatigue. Now, what you got to hope, what you got to hope is this is one of those situations where, and I remember it happened to LeBron James when he was here a few years ago where it's a slightly different situation. He he was not in the shape LeBron James needed to be in at the start of the season. He ends up just like leaving the team for two weeks, going wherever he went, getting into... Re- he basically went through a training montage. He basically went through a Rocky Balboa training montage, comes back, and is dominant the rest of the season, right? He just needed to find the shape that he needed to be in and kind of reset himself, give himself a breath in the middle of the season, reset himself, and come back stronger. That's what you have to hope can happen with Shane Bieber, and it's what Orioles fans are hoping with John Means, and Yankees fans are hoping with Corey Kluber, that uh, you know a two-week reset of the arm followed by you know a buildup of the arm, a modified spring training, you know, going through you know, rehab starts in the minor leagues, one or two to build your arm strength back up is what these pitchers need. So it is something that is going around and now it is bit Shane Bieber. So hopefully, like I said, hopefully it's like a month and then he comes back strong after the all-star break, right? The all-star breaks a very, a good time to kind of bring a guy back. And, uh, it's a nice, it feels like a nice round number, right? It's, it's a, a solid point in the schedule, where you can look at it and say, okay, can we get him back by then? Uh, so yeah, so Shane Bieber is out for a while, which means why I'm bringing it up right here is it means like guys like J.C. Mejia, Giancarlo Mejia have to step up. Guys like Henches, guys like Quantrill, guys like McKenzie have to step up because the only starting pitcher left from the beginning of the season is Aaron Savali. He is the last man standing in this rotation, which was supposed to be a strength of this baseball team. So, Giancarlos Mejia last night actually went okay. Uh, he, He keeps the walks down, 
Walks, I feel like, have been a problem, but they've been more a problem for uh, Henches and more a problem for McKenzie. Not really that big of a problem for Mejia, and we're going to get into Mejia's game logs in a second. We're actually going to look at all three pitchers to wrap this up in a second. But last night, I thought Mejia pitched pretty good. His final line, four innings pitched, four hits, two earned runs, a walk, and three strikeouts on 55 pitches. He only gave up two hard-hit balls, and uh, he was pretty effective. They were ready for his sinker. On 14 swings on his sinker, zero whiffs. Zero. He got four called strikes on it, zero whiffs. They fouled off six and hit eight in play. Now, he was able to get two double plays, right? He was able to get um, Mullins and uh, Severino to ground in two double plays. So that is a good sign uh, with the sinker. So at least if they're making contact with it, that's some pretty weak contact. In fact, the average exit velocity against his sinker was 78.8 miles per hour, which is good. So, okay, weak contact. I can live with that. The CSW is 13% on his sinker, but I can live with the weak contact. Uh, He was a little bit better with a slider. Three swings and three whiffs on the slider, including two called strikes for a 63% CSW. The fastball, again, did not get a line. He only got four whiffs on the day. On four innings, he only got four swings and misses. One on the fastball, three on the slider. He did get a couple of called strikes on on that fastball and on the slider. So that helps his CSW on the day. Compare that to Nick Sandlin, who comes in in relief. Nick Sandlin on, okay, so Mejia on 55 pitches only got four whiffs. Nick Sandlin on 22 pitches got five whiffs over two innings, or one and two-thirds innings pitch for Sandlin. Okay, so uh, clearly they were sitting on the sinker. They knew that sinker was coming, and they were ready for it. That is going to be an interesting thing to pay attention to in his next start, and he is definitely getting another start. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's a pretty good day. Let's go over to the Illustrator and see where he was locating. And uh, he was actually, boy, he was actually keeping that sinker down in a way. I'm guessing a lot of these, it would be into a righty away from a lefty and down. So that's a good sign. There's only one or two uh, sinkers that he left over the middle of the plate. One goes for a called strike. One goes for an in-play out. So okay. He lives, he lives with those. Those are the ones you got to watch out for. I know there was a, uh, yeah, one to Stevie Wilkerson that he drove for a hit. Um, and another one to DJ Stewart that he drove for a run. So he did give up some runs on the sinker. Uh, but they were down. They were down and, you know, to the left edge of the plate. So it was where he was trying to locate them. Uh, so, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see if he goes with the sinker that much. It didn't look like he had much feel for the changeup. Those look way off and away. The four-seam fastballs, I would actually like to see those a little higher. Uh, He left a lot of those in the middle of the plate. I think if you could throw that sinker down and that four-seam fastball up, that would be a pretty wicked combination and then start mixing in the sliders and the changeups. It does not look like he has a good feel for the sliders and the changeup. Usually we see those sliders down and from a right-handed pitcher, pounding the right edge of the plate from the catcher's view. Uh, Not seeing that here. They're kind of up. So we'll see what Mejia does in his next start, if he continues to work that hard sinker or if he starts mixing in some of these other pitches more. 
So, uh, the bullpen then uh, follows it up with a pretty good day, except for Brian Shaw. Like I said, Brian Shaw, uh, Nick Sandlin comes in, goes one and two-thirds, three strikeouts. Sandlin is dominant right now. He is really, really dominant right now. Brian Shaw then comes in, uh, finishes, I believe that'd be the uh, sixth inning, and then goes into the seventh. Ends up giving up two walks and a hit. Ends up giving up a run there. He was hard hit three times, so not a great day for Brian Shaw. But Karinchek's able to get out of it in the seventh and then come in in the eighth. Karinchek has three strikeouts in the day. And then Classe saves it in the ninth. Two strikeouts for Classe. So MVP for the day, uh, the rain, right? I mean, if Stewart doesn't slip in the outfield, we don't score those three runs. Uh I can't really give it to anyone offensively. I mean, we only have five. Both teams only have five hits on the day. I mean, pitching really dominated the day. Dean Kramer, after that first inning, really kind of shut things down for the Indians until the sixth. Uh, it was nice to see that all the RBIs came from the three, four, five hitters, right? Jose Ramirez has two RBIs. Eddie Rosario has one. And Bobby Bradley has one. So that's big. When the middle of your order guys are delivering RBIs, that is a really good sign. I think MVP for the day, I think I'm actually going to give it to Giancarlos Mejia. JC Mejia, when you get that news on Shane Bieber and the pitching is looking so bleak uh, to come out there and have a competent start, it's a, it's a boost. It's a real boost for the team, for the bullpen. Um, so it's, it's not a quality start by terms of baseball. But it was a fantastic start for what the Indians needed yesterday. And we're not asking a ton for these guys. So Mejia, you get MVP for the day. We're not asking a ton from these guys. We're asking the one thing that coaches have been asking from these pitchers since they were like eight years old and first got, you know, first got past T-ball and got past coach pitch. And they finally stepped on the pitching mound. The one thing we've been asking them is just put it over the plate. Just throw strikes. Please, I can live with a guy getting hit around. I can't live with what we saw from McKenzie where you're just walking and walking and walking, guys, because walks lead to runs. Walks lead to big innings, right? You can live with, uh, I can live with hits. I can live with them being aggressive and getting hit a little bit. That, I feel, is more fixable than the walks. The walks are a real problem. Uh, they kill the morale. They kill the morale of your defense. They kill the morale of the pitcher. You can see it from McKenzie's body language. So, the guys, we really need to step up and just throw some strikes. Our Sam Henches, J.C. Mejia, and Cal Quantrill. Now, looking at the game logs for Mejia, it actually hasn't been too bad. That St. Louis, his last start in St. Louis, right? He started three games so far. He did three games in relief. He started three games in June. His game, his first game against Baltimore wasn't bad either. They just, he wasn't stretched out. They didn't let him go that deep in the game. He only went three innings, two hits, no runs, uh, one walk, and two strikeouts. That's a pretty good, I mean, that'd be a good relief appearance. That's a good opener, I guess, right? In this one, uh, or then in the start in St. Louis, it's, it's not so good. They pull him really quick, though. He gives up three hits, four runs. He had two walks in that one. So walks kill him in that one, and he can't make it out of the first inning. This four innings, four hits, two earned runs, uh, only one walk, and three strikeouts. I can actually, 
I can actually deal with that. That's not terrible. All right, so let's see if we can keep this going for Mejia. We got to remember, these guys are not going to be, we can't hold them to the same standards that we hold Bieber to. We have to understand that these guys are not at ace level yet. Savali might be. Uh, Plesak was working on it, but these guys aren't. Henches was really good in April, um, had a, uh, well, his, I guess that he gave up a bunch of runs, but he wasn't walking anybody in April. I should take that back. He gave up a bunch of runs in April, but he wasn't walking anybody in April. Uh, he was getting strikeouts and wasn't walking anyone. In May, the walks started coming. In his five appearances in May, including four starts in May, uh, two walks, four walks, three walks, three walks, three walks. That's not good. So far in June, he has cut down on the walks. Now, when he came in in relief in Baltimore, he got absolutely lit up. Nine hits in one and two-thirds innings. Uh, his last outing against Seattle was actually okay. He gave up some very long outs, but he went two innings, gave up one hit, no walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, is Hench's schedule to start this week? We got Quantrill starting tomorrow, Savali on Wednesday. It's got to be Hench's on Thursday, right? They kept Mejia's pitch countdown so that he could start again maybe Friday or Saturday, start on shorter rest. Um Hench has got to be getting another start here, probably. And then Quantrill. Um, Quantrill was actually looking pretty good at the beginning of the season. In April, in relief, he had a 2.92 ERA in eight appearances. Um, he did walk seven and have five strikeouts, but um, he was able to keep the earned runs down and keep his ERA down. So that's all in relief. And then he was in relief uh, in May, too. He finally got a start on May 31st, the last day of May. And he did really good uh, in the month of May in nine appearances. He had his ERA down to 1.5. Uh, he only gave up four walks in the month of May. Uh, did a really good job in relief in May. He started two games. He started a game against the White Sox and the game against the Baltimore. The start against the White Sox goes okay. Three and two-thirds. Again, a quick hook. Four hits, one earned run, no walks, five strikeouts. That's an okay opener, and it doesn't go well in Baltimore, obviously. He gets hit around five hits, seven runs, only five earned, no walks, but he gets hit around. He came in relief in St. Louis and looked better. Uh, he did give up a walk and hit a batter, but he only gave up one hit, two innings pitched, two strikeouts, uh, no runs given up in that relief appearance against St. Louis. So he is starting again against Baltimore. Let's see if he could put those demons behind him from his last start in Baltimore, and let's see how he does here. He's not walking a ton of guys lately. He is getting hit around. So what can Quantrill do against starting? How quick of a hook will Francona have? That's the game log from those three guys, and those three guys need to step up. So does Tristan McKenzie, but those three guys need to step up. All right, that's all my thoughts. It's going to be a journey until Bieber and Plesak come back. But the Indians have a pedigree with pitchers. There is talent here. We have seen it. We have seen all three of those guys and McKenzie be dominant. We know it's there. It is now up to Carl Willis and Terry Francona to do what they do and get the most out of young pitching. All right. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Indians squeaking away with a win. 
four to three over the Baltimore Orioles. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Kyle Quantrill. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.